0: I mean, I haven't been making as much money as I used to just from like not doing audience warm ups. Like mm-hmm. that was a steady thing, and now that I've gotten out of that, it's more. of, Now
1: like- earlier you told me that you would like you would do audience warm up if you were asked to, mm-hmm. but you haven't been asked to. Is that because you messed up? Is that because you took are we a break? on the
0: podcast? Are we on the podcast now? Are you going to roll? It right could in? be. Stand
1: up, talk. Now, another offering from the Stand-Up Talk Radio Network. I'm, I'm pretty sure that you have a way harder time getting through life than the average person, Ari. I, I, I don't know why anybody would listen to this. I know I won't. Ari, you're if I single-handedly
0: broke up my marriage. You're an awful person.
1: You're 24 years old. Why would I listen to you? Why would you be giving therapy and advice to people who clearly need it? It doesn't make any sense, Ari. This is a horrible idea. You're listening to you listening to unlicensed unlicensed, 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 unlicensed therapy with Ari Minas.
0: Let me just ask a question. Yeah. The podcast today. Yeah. You can ask me whatever. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, what's this about? We so just talk. This is, you me. No, this is a. I mean, we do. It's loose. Okay. We do just talk. There's tangents. Okay. But the theme of the podcast is I help you with your problems. I give you advice. I give you therapy.
0: You're giving me the therapy. Okay, good. I can mm-hmm. use some of that.
1: Yeah. I think everybody could. Everyone's got problems. That's, yeah. That's the beauty. It doesn't matter how much money you have, doesn't matter how much sex you are More getting. money, more problems. Yeah. It doesn't matter how good your life is. You got problems. Everybody does. Everyone has something that keeps them up at night. The, In my opinion, it's human nature to find something to be stressed about, even if you got nothing really to be stressed about. Um, I think that we are
0: drawn to stress, maybe. Some people get things done with a little bit of stress. Your back's against the wall. You yeah. wait to the last minute. There's There's some of that. Me personally, in my... 48 years, I've been lucky enough to be able to sleep well at night. I don't mm-hmm. know what it is. I'm not saying I'm a deep sleeper. I'm saying that I am able to fall asleep. I would say the last, my whole life, knock on wood, I've been a light sleeper, but I've been also able to fall asleep pretty easy, even after, you know, doing these stand up shows. Like some comedians have a, hard time sleeping after shows. Or Mm -hmm. you're at the comedy store and you're there till two A.M., two thirty, and you get home and you're still wired or what have you. And but I'm able for some reason to get back into my my home or my hotel or wherever I am and quiet my brain. I think a lot honestly, I think a lot of it's just like get into bed, look at the internet (laughs) you know you think
1: the internet helps you go to sleep i think it does See, yeah for me that's one of the big things that i would say keeps me awake really yeah because i'll be in bed and i'll be tired but then i'll pull out my laptop or my cell phone and then all of a sudden i'm in this internet loophole and an hour goes by and i go what am i doing i was supposed to be asleep but now it's 3 30 in the morning and i'm still surfing instagram
0: yeah i'm not really at that hour i'm not I'm not reaching out to people. I'm not replying. I'm yeah. not tweeting. I'm usually just, just observing, observing, soaking in, and most of the time, it's the same stuff. If you were to look at my search history, it usually is something about... Baseball. Mm, no, I would say like walking... It would be like health benefits, walking, okay. certain supplements, apple cider vinegar, iodine, <laughs> and then I'll go on. I'll go on to uh, Twitter and check the news. I'm trying to get down to the bottom of it. I think the last few years, with it being so political, I would say the last three or four years or so, um, it's kind of. I go home and I go straight to the internet, and it's not to entertain myself it's to get to the bottom of things to get the the truth so yes i am knowledge
1: expanding the brain
0: um i wouldn't say knowledge i would say information like i want to and i'm not some it's not even a conspiracy thing i'm not there mm-hmm. like looking for conspiracy theories i'm going there looking for the truth on on stuff right so finding it's, the
1: best solution to whatever thing you got going on whether yeah. that be health, you want to know that you're doing the best thing for your health. Is apple cider vinegar the best thing? Maybe. Maybe it's one of the most natural, best things you can do for health. I think it's a good thing, and I research
0: yeah. it. I constantly research it. I'll look, benefits of apple cider vinegar, benefits of iodine,
1: now, do benefits you, of walking. When you look up benefits of apple cider vinegar, are you searching articles? Are you watching people on YouTube? What's your go-to? I would say articles. Articles, okay.
0: And it's all the same stuff. It's all... Digestion, alkaline, it helps lose inches, clean out my sinuses, help me rid
1: of sickness. So it's just kind of, and you do that once a day, apple cider vinegar.
0: Um, when I'm living here in town,
1: which is most of the time, which is most you don't go on the road that much. Not like a crazy. You're not a road dog, and I would like to be. I'd go on the road more. I mean, I'd go on the road more. I go on the road with, uh, you know. I'm like middle-of-the-pack road guy. I always assumed that you didn't want to go on the road that much, and that's why you stayed in town. But I was assumed incorrectly. Um, like. I would
0: go if I had the gigs offered to me.
1: Right, if the money was right, if it was a good gig.
0: Yeah, I would say gigs first, money second. Meaning, right. like, if I'm going to get offered the gig, I'm sure it's, like, okay money right. at least, maybe. Um, but for, you know, the comedy store... We've been so lucky with it being crowded, popular, good numbers. Yeah. So you could play the main room, and I'm not saying anything that people don't know. Yeah. The main room, you get a cut of the door. So Yeah,
1: the money is not bad.
0: The money is not bad. So
1: Especially considering you don't have to fly anywhere. Don't have to fly. You don't have to do an hour. You do an hour, I but, do you don't an ha- hour. but you don't have to. No. If you, you- wanted to, you could do 15 minutes. And go home.
0: I could do 15 minutes and go home.
1: And yes, there's no pressure to sell tickets. It's nice. It gets you money, but it's not all on you because there's other comedians. So if it's a dead show, oh well, that's too bad. Yeah, that's a nice feeling too because when you're on the road and you're headlining, and the room's light, you kind of feel maybe a little guilt. You go, okay, well, yeah, you feel you feel responsible. Yeah.
0: So yes, exactly. So you can be here. And then the other thing is for me. I'm from Los Angeles. I grew up here. It just, it, 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 not saying it makes sense. It's just easier for me. And then also with, yeah, just growing up here and go, doing activities here, it just, to be able to go to the comedy store and not have to deal with that extra hassle, yes, it makes it better. But ultimately, as a stand-up comedian, you got to go on the road. You've got to expand your brain You've got to expand your reach. You need to be on different stages, different cities. You need those experiences. I just think we are in a unique situation here at the Comedy Store at this time in Los Angeles. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I've been lucky enough to be able to – I took advantage of that late-night spot. Yeah, you could do a 15-minute and get out. I think most guys who do the end, that last spot – you know, the Don Barrises, the Brian Holtzmans, yeah. myself. And I think back in the day, you know, it was... Um, Sam Kinnison. Sam Kinnison did it. I think Dice did it, possibly. I think also towards the end they had a Carlos Mencia would do it. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that one. Don't, I just don't want him in there, but yeah. that that's just a fact from what I hear. So, I... I, tur- I filmed my special in that main room. So I, right. I did a one-hour special. In yeah. So I really took advantage of that. I took that last spot and made it something. And for me, it's like I, I maximized what I was given. I was given yeah. that, and I just max. I squeaked. Because to me, comedy is comedy, whether you're in front of a uh, thousands
1: of people or five people. And I was going to say, not only did you maximize that spot, but I think you made something a lot more unique because in 2018, 2017, these last few years, there's so many specials. Almost everyone I know that is a headliner that's been doing comedy for a long time has shot a special now, it seems like. Yeah. And which is awesome and great, but it also makes it so less people want to watch them, I think, and makes them less special. For yeah. special. But yours really is special because it's not you in a sold-out theater or a sold out club on the road, taping your hour. Mm-hmm. It's you late night in the main room of the comedy store, doing what you do.
0: Yeah, that that's every week, what, and that's what I wanted to capture. Right. I was given that spot back in several years ago when Tommy, the old Booker, was there. Mm-hmm. I am going to say like seven or eight years ago, maybe. At this point, was he? I was going to go down to La Jolla. I've told this story before. I was going to go down to La Jolla to do the weekend, and Tommy, the old Booker here at the comedy store in L.A., said, um, "I'll. Why don't you go up in, in the main room at the end and stretch out so you can get ready for La Jolla?" Yeah. I never ever got late. I never got main room spots. I don't think I had one ever. I'd been passing the comedy store since like 2000. Yeah. So for you know close to 10 years, didn't get
1: a main room. Never spot. had a main room spot. Never really ever so is that different because now i feel like everyone gets a main room spot once in a while is mm-hmm. it back in the day it was like you needed to be there were main room comedians and there were original room comedians
0: um is that how there it may was? have been there may have been but i was so you know disattached from that main room i just hadn't really never been in there yeah to be honest with you i was always constantly doing you know, eleven thirty and beyond in the in the main in the in the original, the original room. room. Tommy would always give me, you know, workout spot during the week, and then one to two spots on the weekend. Right, sometimes two. So I was getting two to three spots, but all in late night ish original room. Mm-hmm. And I got that. Sp- he gave me that spot. I did thirty minutes at the end. Then I did like forty five or whatever. And I went down to La Jolla. Did I did the shows, and then he just. I came back, and I was on the lineup again. Like, oh, I'm back on this main room lineup. Okay. So I did it again. And closing it. Closing it, yeah. yeah. So I did like 30. Then it was like 35, 45. Then it's like, oh, I guess I'm getting this. And I just kept doing that spot, having fun, not overthinking it, but interacting with the other comedians, interacting with the door guys, interacting with the sound guys, just being myself. And it just kept growing kept doing it and then after about a year of doing that spot I was thinking to myself this is a special I would say I just did an hour I go I could be a headliner this could be a special yeah so I was already putting that out in my my head that what I was doing was a quote-unquote special even Mm -hmm. though I only had maybe
1: 15 20 people in there right on average Mm -hmm. now let me ask you this is going up there with 15 or 20 people it's obviously less pressure than going up to a sold-out room Correct. Do you like that? Do you like going up and feeling like, you know, this isn't doesn't really matter. If I bomb, it's Which not I a don't. big deal. Which no, I don't. No, no, you don't. But if but but having oh, that thought it. in your head, knowing that you can, and it wouldn't really be a big deal, because you're almost expected to bomb at that time.
0: Right. Well, a lot of comedians. Might, a lot of people do go those in those late mindset.
1: I mean, I, I'm a door guy there. I watch. I've watched countless amount of main room shows, and it's just facts. At that last hour of show, someone's gonna bomb on ninety percent of the nights. Not everyone on the show does great because no. the crowd's tired. It's tough. I'm not. I'm not blaming them. I'm not saying they're bad comedians. They don't do it every time. But if if you bomb at that hour, you're gonna walk away and go, "Well, yeah, they had been watching four hours of comedy, and I went up." You could say that, yeah.
0: Or you could say, "I'm different. I'm Brody. I'm Ari. I do my thing." Yeah. And you're here. You like comedy. Yeah. Let's go. Let's let's push. Right. So that that was always my approach. I would never. I'd always like, even if it's two people, because you've heard for years Sam Kinison perform in front of two people Mm -hmm. and Dice Clay in front of two people. So you was like, you expected that. You almost wanted it, because I'll tell you. Because those two people are there, the the six people that are sticking around, it's like usually they want to be there.
1: Yeah, and you never know. I'm not saying names, but one of them could pass away and leave you an estate. You don't know. You never know. You never know that could happen if you're if you're positive.
0: Uh, You never you never. That's a thing. No, I'll tell you. Like in Los Angeles, that's another thing. In L.A. and I think you should in New York also. Mm -hmm. You never know who's in the audience. That's my mindset when I perform here in Los Angeles
1: because you don't know if there's a director. You don't know what actor. Let me ask you, has that ever happened to you? Have you ever done a show not thinking anything of it, giving it your best, giving it your Brody Stevens, mm-hmm. and then an opportunity happened because of that show? Specifically? Can you, Yeah, I'm sure that's happened without you even knowing it too, but has that ever happened where you're like, oh, crazy, I just thought I was doing a spot, and now I have a a job? Um, I mean... With uh, Todd Phillips, a director of The Hangover,
0: Uh I knew that he liked my comedy. He had seen me a few times at Largo. I don't know if he was was specifically there. He was there looking at Zach Galifianakis, and I was hosting the show or on the show. So I heard from a few people that knew Todd that he was a fan of mine. Brody, Todd's a fan of yours. And this is like before The Hangover was uh, happening.
1: Yeah, he was still a big director.
0: You directed Road Trip, Old School. Oh, I love those movies. And uh, some other ones also. But So that's an example. And I've also heard stories, just people being at the comedy store. You never know, you know, guys who, who are seen at the comedy store. So for me, being in Los Angeles and never know who's in there, especially in that original room, it's so dark. Somebody could be hanging out in the back. They see you. So I always keep that in mind. That's why I never, like, I always, like, try to bring it. Yeah. Um, The late-night spots, you know, sometimes you get people in there too. But I think it's funny. Like, I get up there, and yes, if there's, like, eight people, I'm not, yeah, there's no stakes involved. It's like I'm completely relaxed. It's hard, and lately it's been a little more difficult because the shows are so good. Mm-hmm. so there's no like you're saying like oh well somebody's got to do bad late at night well not, the, not if, necessarily lately yeah. I would say the last couple years or so the shows are so good and if they keep them tight it's like they they have no the audience has no chance to leave and I also feel that because comedy's so much more popular now and the comedy store is popular people don't realize they can leave or they're so into comedy they're just sticking to the very end and they don't realize when I go up I'm going to do close to an hour, yeah. whereas they're used to like, oh, this guy's going to do 15 minutes, we'll go home. And it's like after a half hour, he's still on. (laughs) And you could tell like they want to leave, they want to go. And and you have to learn to not take it personal. It's not because they don't like you. It's because they've been there all night. Well, they've been there all night or they're tired, they're jet lagged, they have babysitters, they have parking. There's so many different variables for them to get up and go. And no, it doesn't feel good. You understand it, but I, I could see like a, a more established comedian like you know like Sebastian he's probably not used to people getting up and walking out yeah. in the middle of the set anymore it doesn't
1: happen so I'm sure you've told this story a million times maybe or maybe you have maybe it's not interesting, but I don't know it is uh how do you know Zach Galifianakis? how would you meet him how did, did you, I meet him yeah how How'd you become friends with that guy did, um, you, start, did you start together?
0: Somewhat, yeah. Well, I was in New York, so I, I spent three years in Seattle, 94 to 97. Working then, at-,
1: at uh, Comedy Underground. Comedy Underground, but also working at- Red Robin. Red Robin, yeah. And for the Seattle Underrated, Supersonics. in my opinion. Yeah, burgers, fry refill, whatever you I they're good, do. yeah. Yeah. I, Unlimited fries, it's un- good.
0: It was, uh, I worked at the original Red Robin, the original, which was in Seattle. Is that still there? East, like, I no, go there. it's oh, gone no. now.
1: Bummer. It's gone. That's sad.
0: But I worked at the original, and I did uh, fry refills, salads, the burgers. I forget all the burgers. But, yeah. So I did that, and I worked at the Seattle Supersonic Arena selling T-shirts. So I learned to public speak in Seattle. I called the radio stations in Seattle. I did everything I could to public speak, to learn
1: to talk, to go for it. On purpose. on purpose. You were, you had a conscious thing in your head. This wasn't. I oh, I'm happy and I'll be learning public speaking. You had a conscious thing in your head. I want to do public speaking type thing.
0: Yes, because I had to get over that fear mm-hmm. of of being out in the public, going for it. You know, if you wanted to be a comedian, you got to do that. Yeah. And then I would, you know, I was listening to Jay Leno's book, and he said, just get a job where you're talking. So, oh, I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, like book. publics talk. It doesn't matter. It's A good tip. Yeah, so even waiting tables, you're communicating, you're talking, you're not like sitting in your, you're not in an office, you're not in your little cubicle, you're dealing with people. And then I did cable access in Seattle, public access. So d- twice a week, uh, Tana and I, my friend Samoan friend, we would do live cable access your own show,
1: our own show. And this Are is, these, can you get? Do you have access to those? Do you still have tapes of yes. that, those shows? I have about. A hundred of them. Are they good? Like it'd be fun to cut those up, put little clips out. You know what? There are. I believe me.
0: I've thought about making a best of, and I I think you can
1: certainly pull some some moments.
0: Some moments. It's crude. It's it's a it's loud. It's pushing it. I I don't think it would fly today necessarily. It makes it um, even better. But uh, it prepared me for doing live television because we were live in Seattle, and back then, this is nineteen you know nineties uh five and ninety six they had cable but like 60 channels that's it yeah so so a lot
1: more people watched it a
0: lot more people watched it and then especially in seattle king county was a second largest public access viewing community per capita new york was number one king county was two so they're able to got a lot of viewers and i would walk around seattle people would know me brody jews and samoans yes they would know so i had fans we had fan mail we had some t-shirts and this was like, email was just kind of coming about. AOL was around, but no podcasting, no, sure. you know, My uh, MySpace and Twitter, Twitter, none of that. Right. So if we, that was
1: around, you'd probably have a giant Seattle social media presence.
0: Yeah, it was. It was. It would have been different. But I learned to uh, be on the fly, put out energy, play to the cameras, have a good time. So. I did all that in in Seattle. I just jumped in because I played baseball at Arizona State. That's pretty much I was in the jock school world. I didn't do anything artistic. So I took a crash course in to the arts by moving up to Seattle and diving into it, which was a great spot for me to really learn because I I took a workshop at UCLA. I'm from here. So after Arizona State, I came back to LA and I worked on a student film. I worked on two different student films just to see, just to learn everything about filmmaking because I wanted just to learn about entertainment. And I was taking a workshop at UCLA, a comedy workshop. Sebastian took it; he wasn't in, he took it later. But Sandy Seashore, that's right. Yeah. So she taught it, and it was like every Wednesday or whatever. I drive to UCLA, and I was excited to do my two minutes in front of my fellow classmates. So I, I, I wanted to see if I liked it. That's why I took that workshop. And I did. And I would do the workshop to two minutes, talk, whatever, and then I would drive by the comedy store and look at it and go, maybe one day I'll I'll get to be in there. And I grew up, you know, in the valley here, but my mom dated Jack, who lived over on Altoloma, over by down the street from the comedy store. So even as a kid in the eighties, I would still see the comedy store from the balcony. I'd look yeah, out. I could it's see-
1: a known Mon, yeah, it's an entity right there on
0: that Sunset Strip. That energy and the lights and all that stuff. So even as a kid, I would see that.
1: I knew that's how the La Jolla one was for me. I grew up in San Diego. It was like we. I just drive by it occasionally. I just remember it exactly. Yeah,
0: yeah. There's something magical. Something happened in there, and I wasn't ready for it, but I knew. I just knew something was there. And then when I took the workshop, I drive by and I go, maybe one day I'll do it. And then we had our grad. With the graduation took place there in the original room. It was packed. It was like on a Sunday night, all my friends and I did well felt like I was a comedian, people giving me business cards and then I did a one open mic I was supposed to do open mics and it was out in Chatsworth out in the valley and it was just like awful. yeah it was like a typical valley open mic yeah but I knew after that first open mic I go, I don't think I want to go this route. I could tell like this is I didn't want to go that path. I just instinctively being in the valley, and then having a guy who Especially I didn't know after in my home.
1: Your first show before that was this hot OR. You know, some people they start their first times at an awful open mic, so that's kind of they go, "This is how you start." But yeah, you had done a hot show in one of the best rooms in the world. Correct. So going from that to a valley open mic, you are like, ah, "This is not." yeah and i wasn't Good. like i
0: i it wasn't for me i wasn't saying right. like others shouldn't do it just right. my particular situation growing up where i was living and going to that and having that kind of open mic dreary la whatever energy i go ah i'm not going to i don't want to do it let me take another workshop so i took a business of of comedy workshop so i wanted to learn more about stand up and how the clubs were run and and contracts and all that. So I learned everything. And he said, uh, Danny Robinson, who's still uh he's Tiffany Haddish's manager. Manager or agent, but I think manager. Yeah. He said, if you want to do stand-up, get out of Los Angeles. Go to a smaller market. Because I was – I had no support system other than a couple friends. I just had no idea how to go about doing it yeah, other so you, than taking so a class. Seattle. Yeah, it was either Phoenix or Seattle. Phoenix I had no – just when I went to college, no feeling for artistic support. But Seattle, my dad's brothers lived up there, and they said, why don't you come up to Seattle? We really support the arts up here. So I researched it, and they had that Northridge earthquake. I was just spinning my wheels, and they had that Northridge earthquake in February or January 94. I remember of 94. that. I was low-kid. Yeah, and uh, literally like a week later, I got in the car and just drove to Seattle. And that's so I started my Seattle stuff. Went, went for it, took my baseball background education background, support of my family to like go up there and you know I, I, I was very like doing the work, not thinking like in the stars. You know, right. Of course you wanna make you know, but I was into like doing the work and, yeah. and having laughter and all that be a be a result of it. So I moved to New York. Joey Diaz
1: is the one who told me Was it hard though to to leave Seattle when you kinda had this following and this from your show? your Your public access show were you thinking like man, I could just stay here and kinda be a Seattle guy, or were you you knew the whole time I need to get out of here
0: um no, I wanted to go because I felt like where I started, I feel like at the comedy clubs like they i I worked at the comedy underground. I worked the door there i mm-hmm. I sat the audience, I made the announcements I was so nervous to make the announcements on the the mic even the the off mic. I didn't even do those. Clay, the guy, the, the other manager, did it. So I learned about the three person show. I learned about just the comedian life of them coming through the comedy. And now, did
1: they did they let you open those shows ever? Or? Well, here's the thing.
0: Yeah. No, I rarely was. I wasn't one of their guys. Yeah. They knew. It's almost they knew me too well. Yeah, that's the thing. Like first impressions. Here's Brody. He's got a personality. He's funny. You know, maybe a host type, but. That was about it. So I really wasn't getting great spots. I was getting guest spots maybe. And then I was doing the cable access with my friend Tana. And we were popular. And we were good. I could tell, like, this was a show. This could be a radio show. This could be a TV show. This could be something. People are watching. They could flip around. They could see Jay Leno or Brody and Tana. It was like same. We were on Channel 29. They were on Channel 4 or whatever it was yeah. up there. So, and... I could just tell, just walk in the streets, people knew me. But I felt as though my stand-up wasn't evolving. I was, I was like, turning into this TV personality a little bit. And then Tana wasn't having fun and being silly. And I felt like I needed to get away from that. I needed to grow as a performer, as Brody, the stand-up. I felt like there, I had more work to do, and I wasn't getting that opportunity in Seattle. I was like, they knew me as, you know, I moved up here, baseball guy, host maybe, does the cable access. So, but I always wanted to go to New York City as a kid, just growing up, seeing the big buildings of New York, because I grew up here in the San Fernando Valley, it's you know, the suburbs, but seeing the hustle and bustle of New York. So, my friend who I grew up with here in the Valley, he... Uh, Mike Brzello, who's now a coach with the Chicago Cubs, he got a job with the New York Yankees. So in 1996, he got a job with the Yankees as their bullpen catcher. He'd been play he played minor league baseball up into like 94. So 95, he was like in between. In fact, he came up to visit me just hang out. And then in 96, Joe Torre got the job as the manager of the Yankees. So Joe Torre, who he knew uh, through the Cardinals organization and growing up as a kid, he knew him. He said, why don't you come down here to spring training in Tampa? So he got the job with the Yankees. They kept them in 96. They won the World Series. I went out to New York in 96. I took a trip out there to check it out. So I visited New York, and he was with the Yankees. And I wanted, always as a kid, wanted to go to New York. And then I remember Joey Diaz told me, he said – Brody you got to go to New York they'll love you there you got to just go Did he there. see you do a guest spot in Seattle how did he he was living in Seattle oh he was living in Seattle that's okay. the thing yeah yeah Joey Diaz lived in Seattle Craig Gass Josh Wolf. this was in my our class we had Craig Gass Joey Diaz Josh Wolf. Mitch Hedberg was there wow. for a few months and then he moved to New York so I I knew Mitch Hedberg in passing but not really yeah I later on knew him. I did a couple shows with Mitch Hedberg, so so I knew he actually liked me. He is his wife, Lynn, Lynn Shawcroft, yeah. She always said, like, Mitch, Mitch really likes you. So that felt good. Anyway, so, but Joey said, go to New York. You can do it. You can, they'll get you. A couple other people said that. So when I, Brazella was out there and the next year, so I had a, so 97, I felt like, you know what, I go to New York, I can hang out with the Yankees, and do comedy and see what happens. So uh, I went out there, moved out there in 97. Yeah, 97. And I lived in like a weekly hotel on the Upper East, Upper West Side. You know who stayed there? The Bushman. Oh, yeah. But Lahai I knew in Seattle. The Bushman, Lahai, who won International Star Search. He's got
1: two kids. Yeah, he beat beat Norm
0: MacDonald. (laughs) So he did Letterman. Lahai did Letterman as Bushman. So, and regular stand-up also on TV at times. Anyway, and he was in a couple movies. He was in a movie with Bruce Willis. Played some movie in uh, that they filmed in Hawaii. So, but it was funny. When I moved to New York, Lahai was in that hotel with me, that weekly hotel, Malibu Inn on West 107th Street. So, I stayed there for a few weeks. Burzello was living out in New Jersey, and I just felt like if I stayed with Burzello. My friend with the Yankees, it was going to take me away from, like, stand-up. Because I went to New York mostly for stand-up. The Yankee stuff was cool and all those opportunities. But it was more about, I got to do stand-up. I want to jump into that. So I ended up finding my own place in Brooklyn. Found an apartment over there in Brooklyn. Third stop in, Williamsburg. It's like a hip, crazy area now. And I found that apartment. And... Uh, just jumped into new york i was a tour guide at radio city music hall i barked at the comedy cellar i did a lot of stuff i did uh, the late night crazy open mics in in the lower east side i was a waiter in times square at cafe un du see my family was always like as long as you're working we'll help you out like if you have a job and you need a couple bucks we can help you but if you're not working and you're doing that sort of thing. Yeah, they want
1: to see that you're trying and not a lazy piece of shit. Exactly.
0: So I always had that, like, I knew that I had a little bit of... Support. A little support as long as I was, like, holding up my end of the bargain. So Zach, I met Zach at Stand Up New York. This is probably, like, 98, 99. 1998, 99. And he was just, like, a funny guy. You saw his headshot. It was funny. He would host shows at Stand Up New York. I'd see him around there. But not... I wasn't, like, buddy, buddy. I'd see him once once in a while. And then, like, one time, he and, like, a group of guys, and I was in it, we went out somewhere. I always say that's the first time we met. Zach
1: doesn't even remember. He doesn't remember the going out part? That part, no.
0: I mean, we are like, not, we were, like, we are just, like, Jeff Ross was there, Zach was there, a couple other people. And then, I, like I said, I would see Zach at Stand Up New York. He would host the show. So I'd see him there, and then I saw him at a taping of Apartment 2F, that was a show that Sklar Brothers had, so that was on a, like, Chelsea Piers. It was on MTV, and I remember Zach was on the show. I went to a taping, and Mike Royce did the audience warm-up, who produced, like, Everyone Loves Raymond. He's done a bunch of shows since then, but he was the warm-up, I remember, and Zach was on the show, and he was just funny, laughing, having a good time. So I, like, connected with Zach, I remember on that, that day watching, and we go, this guy's funny. And then seeing his stand-up. So I already like kind of like knew of him, knew about him. Then, so that was our New York experience, really not much. Yeah. And then Zach moved out here, I guess, in 99 or 2000. I moved out here in 2000. So when I came back, I felt like I had six years of stand-up. I, I found my voice in Seattle. I honed it in New York. And I felt that... Once I started doing some, I got passed at Stand Up New York and in, in uh, back there, and then I did um, collective. I did uh, collective unconscious, surf reality, Luna Lounge was the big one. Oh yeah. I if you were like that. an alternative comedian, a non club comedian, for example, or even a club comedian, you wanted to do Luna Lounge. That was the hot Monday night show, packed in there, hundreds of people, packed room at the in the back there. And they had great comedians like Todd Barry and Mark Maron, and Garofalo, Dave Chappelle, Upright Citizens Brigade. Wow. The list goes on, Zach. It was a spot to be. And I had done that. So everyone would do Surf Reality. That was the, the Sunday night show. Collective was on Wednesdays. And then you always wanted to do Luna. And then I got to do Luna Lounge. I did it once. I hosted. So I had Todd Barry and all these guys on. Did a good job. And I hosted a couple other times. And then I did a spot. So I was holding my own with these big-time comedians, making their living. I'm up there doing my, doing my doing a good job. So my confidence was good. Like, hey, I can perform with these guys. And I was just ready to come back to Los Angeles. I felt like three years in New York, I did it. I lived it. I get it. But also, I want more. And my friends were moving back to L.A., friends I had started with. And I stayed in touch with them, obviously. And the, one of them was uh, Alex Sulkin, who's, uh, who's now at The Family Guy. He's a producer at The Family Guy. Wow. So we did open mics back in New York. We used to hang out. So and, uh, we would do Rebar, a bunch of those guys, all these Conan writers and Family Guy writers. We all started at these shows around New York. And uh, so Sulkin came out here, and he got a job right away working for Craig Kilborn, Late Late Show. So I would always send him tapes. I send him my old Brody and Tana tapes. He loved that, or my old Cable Access. He always just laughed at me. Yeah, spit. No worries. And we would, uh, you know, write jokes and laugh and all that. So Sulkin got the job at at Kilborn. Craig Kilborn. So when I moved, right away, I got that Kilborn spot. Boom. He hooked
1: it up. He knew, um, you, he knew you. He liked you. He put in a good word.
0: Yeah, I don't think he like hooked me up, but he. I mean, I knew the other writers also. It didn't hurt in the door. It didn't hurt. Yeah, you know, but I I would come and visit anyway, even before I would moved out here. I'd let me come by CBS Television. And you did stand up on Craig Kilborn? What did you? Do yeah, on? yeah, yeah. I did stand. I did three. I ended up doing three sets, three different times. I came back. I did. They it. Liked you. Yeah, 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 and. So I did that, and the other thing was I also did Comedy Central, Premium Blend. Now, how did I get Premium Blend? The bookers of Premium Blend booked Luna Lounge. So Luna uh-huh. Lounge was booked by Jeff Singer and Naomi and Joanne, Joanna, who was at, they were all at Comedy Central. So by doing Luna, it kind of like got like me. a in, showcase. Correct. So it got me into Premium Blend, and then also I did my Kilborn. So in 2000, I know we're talking about Zach, but I'm kind of like just giving my old thing here in 2000 right away boom Kilborn, boom premium blend boom passed at the improv passed at bobby lee got me passed at the comedy store and then i was passed i think at the Where'd last bobby factory. lee
1: see you to where he's like you gotta come to the store
0: bobby lee saw me somewhere or i think it was my friend adam groppman who's still around we just did a show like out in the pasadena like a rehab group. So Groppman was a guy who ran a show called uh, Cafe 101, which is at the 101 Cafe over here on uh, Franklin. Oh, so I, he did, I did a, a star, yeah. uh, show there? Mm-hmm. He did a show on, I don't know, whatever night, Tuesday or Thursday nights. And he would book like Patton, Sklar Brothers, oh, Maria It, was a, it was a good show. Yeah, it was a good show and good comedians. And I, I did it. Zach would do it. So I, I met Zach again there. And I knew, and then Grotman would put me on. Grotman was like a character guy, funny guy, good writer. So he, he would say, like, I live next to Bobby Lee. Is my next-door neighbor. So he would, he would tell Bobby Lee about me. So somehow Bobby Lee saw me, or I got recommended. So Bobby Lee got me the audition at the comedy store for Mitzi. And I think I got it right away. Somebody said, like, I don't think she... I, I think I got passed right away. I don't think I had to go. I didn't go through multiple auditions for Etsy. Right. I did it once, and I was like passed. So it was like full circle. Yeah, you're like you're in, and I it, I was basically you know getting super late night spots, but it didn't matter. Yeah. Now that I'm in, and I'm like, okay, that's cool, but so those I would say like 2000 2001. So I should see Zach at the yeah Cafe 101. I might have said hello or whatever. And then we went to Chicago Comedy Festival. So that was in Chicago, like year of 2000. Zach was in it. I was in it. A uh, bunch of comedians. But that's where I really hung out with Zach. Like we started hanging out. We so we bonded. We bonded in Chicago. Went to the baseball game, did shows or whatever. And then like the next festival later that year, 2001 or whatever, was in Vancouver, Went to Vancouver. Zach was there, and that's where we really started, like, playing around on stage. I'd be up there. He'd say stuff to me. I'd say stuff to him, like, funny, whatever, like, going back. And the crowds loved it. And then we ended up – so that was in Vancouver, and then we ended up doing that kind of thing at Largo, messing around. And then Zach started messing around. He got good at it, too, like, going out on the street, bringing people in, doing crowd work. So a lot of that was through me and him playing around. And that's probably where a lot of those, uh, you know, maybe Todd Phillips saw me later, you know, Mm -hmm. those those early years. So that's where I became friendly with Zach. I would say Chicago Comedy Festival really bonded doing stuff. And then Vancouver really played around on stage. And then I was doing the audience warm-up. Now, how did I get the audience warm-up at Fox Sports, Best Damn Sports Show? That was from doing another show. Here in LA at uh, Amagi or Miyagi's, forget the name of it heard of that. right there at the Gower Gulch on Sunset and Gower in that area next to where they did Tiger Belly for a few years or Tiger Lily anyway, did that and Rich Williams and Brian Burke ran it, and it was basically like a bringer show and they did it in the back there. Yeah, the 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 sushi place. So I do that like Wednesdays and Sundays. Chelsea Handler would do it. They get you know this a long time ago, early two thousands. You just bring a show, but they also had good
1: comedians. Correct. Yeah.
0: But I would always end up hosting, so I never had to like bring anybody. I remember my birthday there. My sister came down, some other people, and then Rich Williams was on the show, one of the bookers, and he and he kept telling me, Brody, I've got this, uh, working on this sports show at Fox, like a Saturday Night Live or for sports kind of thing. He was telling me about it. And I remember one day I called him or he called me. I was like on the 405. And he said, what are you doing tomorrow? I go, nothing. He says, you want to come down to Fox Sports and talk to the audience? I said, yeah, I'll do it. Of course. So I went down there. It's 2001. So this is like July of 2001. And I went down there. I, it was like 40 people on a mental bench, all these paid audience members. And uh, like Deke, the, the, Tom Arnold and all those guys were on the show. And I did the practice show. For like a hundred bucks or whatever. They said, You want to come back tomorrow? I go, Okay, we'll do it again tomorrow. I did it tomorrow. And then they said, We're gonna use an audience. You wanna do it? I said, Yeah. So it's like my first job, regular job. Yeah. Even though I'd already done premium blend, I had done comedy. Yeah, but
1: this was your first consistent money gig.
0: Consistent, but I mean a hundred bucks, maybe. But the thing but still, was still was all the time. Correct.
1: Yeah. Time.
0: And then I get to be on the Fox lot. It's like, oh, I'm driving into like work at a real studio, and also, all these great athletes. I got to meet, you know, Willie Mays and Ernie Banks, Kobe Bryant, Magic Johnson. I mean, everybody, every NFL. They all came through there. So I was got, and I love, you know, sports is in my blood. So I really got to get good at that warm up. Get good of every day. I had a crowd to play with a group, whether it be high schoolers or military or rehab or paid audience or whatever. You know, I had Latino kids, black kids, Asians, girl, You learned how to deal with them, and you learned about or how to get the most out of them, and you learned about how them sitting up and clapping, it just made the, the, the tapings go better. It just made everything go better, funnier, when they're, like, engaged
1: yeah. and pushing it. And they're just different. It's kind of like when you do stand-up, a good crowd... In my opinion, makes you a better comedian when, you, when you're going up for a good crowd. When you're going up for a crowd that's kind of dead, it kind of brings your energy down. Right, but you can't do that. And I'm not going to do it on a
0: paid gig. Right. I don't care. I don't care. This is real. These are lives. You're going to come in here with bad. I'll, I'll do it with five people in the audience. I don't yeah. need 20 people slouching. I'll take five sitting up. I can do it on my own. And that's what I would show, like even later on when I would do, I'd learn about, I I'd clap. I, I remember I would do this at, 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 at midnight. I was with Chris Hardwick at Comedy Central. The crowd was like not clapping. I go, This is how you clap. I show them. And I'd be one guy filling it up. I go, I'm one guy. That shows you energy and clapping. I'm one guy. So can we all work together to make this show good? And then it's good and it keeps growing. And then we get giveaways. You get to do this. Always, it was constantly had a guy give pep talks a lot of the time. But it worked. So, anyway, I learned a lot of that at Best Damn Sports Show. Like, again, we did ended up doing a 1,000 shows. But pretty much every day, I'd drive to Zach's after. Because Zach lived over on the west side. He was just before he was married and a serious girlfriend and all that stuff. So, I would... Uh, be done around, like, 4 o'clock or whatever. Then I instead of driving go back to the out. Valley, I'd go to Santa Monica. We'd hang out with Zach. We'd go out to eat. We'd write jokes, laugh around. And this, he had his own show coming up on VH1. He had a couple movies. And uh, it was just fun, like, doing stuff. Yeah. And uh, you'd learn, like, Zach was, like, super funny guy and a good guy and all that. And that that's kind of where that happened. And then the hangover was Todd Phillips looking at Zach – and then it's all me. So I got to do that, and then and then Hangover Two, and then some other things. And also, I had my show on Comedy Central. And I knew early on, like Zach, always wanted to do some kind of show about me. I want to produce a show. So I knew in the back of my mind, he always yeah, liked me. Neat. Yeah. So those that's where those kind of seeds were were planted. So. And a long forward. long story short, I kind of like threw in giving you the Zach background. Giving you New York background, L.A. early beginnings, and Seattle. So this
1: is good. Yeah. Uh, so I want to know. I want to skip to now. Skip to now. And you recently went off all medication. Wait. Oh, you're talking about right now. Right now, right now.
0: Well, I went off all meds on slowly. Slowly. And And I'm not saying that I won't go back to them, but I personally, my own choice. No, I think it's good.
1: But it, it just it's interesting. Because How do you know? You told me. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> no, but I find it to be interesting because when I first moved here, before I knew you and when I knew you, I'd say a big part of your identity, at least on stage, was I'm on meds. I'm 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 under control. I'm on medication. It was right. a big part you, you always talked about it, on and off stage. It's funny. You, it is fun. No, of, of course. because people don't always it's, talk about that stuff. Sure, you're open. It's funny. But it it's still it's it's a it's a big life choice getting off of meds that you've been on for years and years and years. And Yeah. And what made you was there was there was it was it always in the back of your head? Was there a moment where you said it's time to get off? What made you decide, I want to get off medication? Well, I'll tell you what.
0: Well, here's the deal. I'll tell you why I went on them to even begin with. I never, ever took any medication, nothing. When I played baseball, I went to high school. I didn't even know what that stuff was. I did, like, arguing with my sister therapy. That's normal, I think kids fighting, maybe you go to yeah. a family counselor. I did Just that. Just sister though, not parents? I didn't really argue with my mom and dad. I mean, okay. a little bit, but it was more me and my sister. Got it. So my, you know... You still struggle with that to this day
1: a little bit. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> That's... And I, 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 again, I have my own feeling we can go into that, but that kind of thing, the... Uh, so my mom was into that sort of stuff, like self-help somewhat. And then even a sports psychologist my mom i went to a, when i was in high school for i went to a sports psychologist to help with my
1: baseball i don't know if it worked who knows i've never even heard of that yeah they have not a, this isn't a private baseball coach this is a sports psychologist to help your mind get into yeah baseball mode. correct now correct okay now i, I need to go and off they, and on that, this that, tangent that, are they go ahead. just is a sports psychologist essentially a psychologist that calls himself a sports psychologist. Probably. Like, they're not really talking about baseball in therapy session. They're just doing kind of regular therapy that will hope, hopefully transfer.
0: Yeah, I think this guy knew some sports somehow or knew something. Uh, he just
1: found his niche. Yeah, but he, probably he was, a like, was
0: probably like a fantasy baseball guy <laughs> and said, okay, mm-hmm. I'll uh. – but I remember I went to that guy. You know, these days, every major league baseball team, every professional team – they have some kind of mental skills guy. They have team psychologists, they have team mental skills guys and motivational. There's a whole thing. Yeah. so I I was on that. this is back in like 86, 87, so I was I was ahead of that. Okay. so, but that being said, never took any medications, never had any, other than a typical Jewish kid, Divorced parents, yeah. You weren't perfect, but no, you were fine. I was fine. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was. To me, looking back on it, I was just a typical Jewish kid. Whatever you want, when you you could tell, like when I say Jewish, you know, like goofy at times, or goofy, like maybe a little neurotic. Correct. Yeah. Which, if you're not around other Jews, people might think that you're weird or like something's wrong with you, or or if you're around other Jews, they might think that's normal and you're supposed to get therapy. There's like there's a lot of there's those different, you know, schools of thought. So I went I went to Arizona State, played baseball. Never was never like depressed or weird or never thoughts, never, never in high school either. I'm normal nor, normal guy. For everything that I just said, normal. College Normal now I didn't have normal relationships dating and all that stuff was kind of like had my own issues with th- those sort of things like intimacy issues maybe and relationships that and that's probably for a number of reasons you can go on that on another podcast so never did it never thought about it never knew about it so then when I moved to Seattle,
1: this is'm um, 24 now. It's interesting this happened in Seattle because uh, so dark up there. That's what i was gonna say. Yeah, there's a lot of depression and suicide in Washington State. Yeah, I mean, I,
0: I never even, and I still don't. I don't. I never had suicidal thoughts. Right. I'll, can I go on record saying that? Yeah. So, I went to Seattle and I started doing my comedy. I mean, now I'm after life, after college. I'm not playing baseball, and I would do comedy and. I was getting laughs up there, but the laughs were like laughing at me, laughing at me getting frustrated over a joke not working, me getting, it like didn't feel good. I did, I would do my stand-up, it didn't feel great, but people liked it. Okay, and my jokes were all right, but they they laughed when I reacted to that. But it didn't feel great necessarily. Then on top of it, living alone a new life in Seattle even my own apartment trying to find out a lot of like ruminating thoughts sometimes like stare not staring in the mirror but just like I didn't have that regular schedule you know I was like got to
1: create my own world now I'm on my own yeah Yeah, yes your first time maybe living as a an independent adult not in school nothing
0: right but I still wasn't yeah, I wasn't that alone. To be honest, I had family, and I still have had. If I, I wasn't desolate, dest destitute, right? You weren't alone, but
1: correct. You weren't an independent adult,
0: but I just had more time to be in my head and stare, like lo- worry about stuff that didn't matter. Almost anyway. So get up there and I would do the comedy. Wouldn't wouldn't like the feeling, and I forget why I, I just started like. I wasn't depressed, but I would start, you know, maybe anxiety would lead to depression, ruminating thought, nothing bad, but enough to where, and I wasn't a drinker and I wasn't a smoker and I just started doing coffee. So I started taking coffee in Seattle. That's where I learned to drink coffee, double tall, non-fat vanilla. Home of Starbucks. Latte. Never went to Starbucks because Starbucks was like totally not liked was all about independent coffee houses in Seattle. So I went to Uptown Espresso. That was in Queen Anne. So I went there. Anyway, I was, I just needed something to like take the edge off maybe. Something to like have me not just have obsessive thoughts about staring in the mirror. Like are my eyebrows perfect? Are my sideburns, my nose, this. Just stupid stuff. You know, you could take, you can hang out with somebody, you can get a girlfriend, you can get a dog, you can be in a support group and maybe do cognitive therapy and you can get rid of these thoughts. Or you could take a pill. So then University of Washington was actually, um, ha- had some kind of program where they had like a, this was, I was like OCD. That's what it was like defined for. You have OCD, mm-hmm. you're obsessive about thoughts been more obsessive about like how I looked or what people think about me maybe or is my nose big on top of performing and not feeling great because remember I never performed in college right because didn't you're ha- just getting For a feel whatever for reason it. for whatever reason I didn't perform I was into the sports world and then when I went to LA I performed but it was you know within the parameters of that UCLA workshop mm-hmm. so now I've got the freedom I'm accountable for myself, not enjoying it totally, being kind of like hard, stressed. So they say, hey, um, maybe you should look into it, maybe try medication. You know, do the cognitive therapy, but try and take the edge off. Yeah. There's stuff out there. So University of Washington had a program where they had a, a new pill called Luvox, which is for obsessive compulsive. And they said, we'll give you that for free. And then you just will take your blood every week or whatever. And they did like a brain exam. Mm-hmm. And I would go in there to the University of Washington like every other week. And they'd take my blood and I get the they give me the pills. The doctor would. Now, did
1: they do this for free because they were testing out the pill? It wasn't like a. It was one of those studies. Yeah, yeah it was a study. OK,
0: but it was uh, these are like legitimate doctors. Sure. I forget their names. I think, but they're yeah, n- they nice. But guys. this
1: pill was not to be clear. This Luvox at the time was not prescribed. To, if I were a regular patient and went to a doctor, they wouldn't prescribe me Luvox. From
0: well, it was brand new. It may have it was trial period. It was something with the trial. Yeah, but I felt because it was University of Washington. These guys were legitimate. Yeah, I needed a little help, and I don't. I I I felt I had insurance, but I went through that. I just went through University of Washington Mm -hmm. because I trusted them. Yeah, so I took that pill luvox and i'll tell you what it helped me i would go to bed at night and i'd be like more relaxed it would help my sleep it gave me like a little warm feeling like a little relaxed it relaxed me it helped me sleep um but it messed up my comedy at first it it threw me off like as i was like too comfortable too didn't too happy almost so it took me a little while to get to get uh you know, it was drowsy. It took me, like, a few months to get, like, up and running. Yeah, maybe get that edge back. Yeah, or, well, just that focus. I mean, my body felt good. I just wasn't, I didn't have, like, I wasn't, like, drawn to doing stand-up on a couple nights. It was, like, too relaxed almost. Anyway, so I took the Luvox, and then once I got, started getting used to it, yes, it, like, I slept well. I was doing my comedy, doing my cable access, and I didn't feel, I didn't feel, it gave me like a little, took the edge off. Mm-hmm. Whatever edge there was there, or potentially, it took some of it off, I think. And I didn't feel so, I wasn't so hard on myself after shows or up on stage. I it just, it, it gave me that little buffer,
1: I felt. On yourself?
0: Yeah, it took, took the edge off it gave me a little bit of a warm feeling and I remember like I'd sleep in bed and I'd like my rubbing my feet together was like I remember like was relaxed I just remember those feelings of that seemed to be working so then when I moved to New York because it was out of state I had to get a new doctor and all that other stuff so I figured I'm not I didn't transfer over the luvox so when i went to new york i i wasn't on anything but i ended up feeling okay probably need something whatever whether whether it's therapy or some kind of med you missed the luvox i wasn't when you were in new york not to be honest no not really And, and here's the other thing i didn't know the dangers if you want to call it or like changing meds or stopping meds yeah this was
1: you know 20 30 years ago It wasn't as studied as it is today it wasn't as much knowledge and info about it like there is now
0: right exactly so when i went to new york i really don't i didn't have any like time when i was like jonesing i need a i need the luvox or just didn't do it and then when i started yeah, maybe getting to my head again and, like, I need to talk to somebody. I did talk to, uh, did have a psychologist that I spoke to. My mom encouraged that, of course. And then I did look into taking some kind of, something to quiet my brain, basically, is what I needed or what I was looking for. So this particular doctor out there, she said, she even tried me on Ritalin tried me on ritalin and that may have helped me i don't know like for focus i couldn't really tell didn't really to be honest it didn't do much for me and then they tried me on a zoloft and i remember i took it and i was like sweating and didn't like the feeling after like a week i stopped taking that so i did make attempts to
1: take something but for the most part you didn't part, find anything that did it for you basically of the or you tried a couple things they didn't work Tried a couple of things. They
0: didn't work, but I was able to also, you know, function and enjoy New York for the most part. Towards the end, I started getting down on myself. New York can do that to you for various reasons. I remember I'd walk around and I'd see, you know, happy people, couples eating Well, I'm just kind of like walking the streets, going to do, uh, you know, Bark at the Comedy Cellar or go be a tour guide at Radio City, whatever. I was just seeing those things, but... I didn't have you know my career. I had no idea where what was going to things were going to be like in the in the future. So I didn't have any kind of like confidence other than I had my show in Seattle or I'm a funny guy in the lower east side or I'm a interesting tour guide. So m- towards the end there, I wanted to come back to LA. I don't know if I don't know if a med would have made a difference, but I just think I was just ready to come back. So when I came back here, I was kind of like quote-unquote, med-free. And then I remember I started working at Best Damn Sports Show, and then the Internet started coming around. I started, like, doing a newsletter for my for my fans, and then Facebook was coming around, MySpace. And I started kind of, like, I felt like I needed something to take the edge off. Now, I wasn't a, a pot smoker back then. I didn't smoke pot. I didn't drink very much and I was maybe one or two coffees a day. So, you know, some people self-medicate with pot or drinking. I didn't really do that. So my doctor said, why don't you try this pill, which was Selexa, which I think was like a better version of Luvox. They're similar but different. So you had Selexa. But there were sexual side effects, supposedly, and some other things. And now Selexa kind of morphed into Lexapro. So most people know Lexapro, but Lexapro came out of Selexa originally. They're very similar. Similar, yeah, but less side effects. Less side effects. So pretty much back on that merry-go-round. So Selexa turned into Lexapro, and I was basically on it for like 10, 12, 15 years for the most part. Very, varying dosages. But I always wanted to get off it because I just felt like my mind wasn't fully clear. Because whenever I missed a dose or went down, you could like, oh, feel like, feel normal almost. Like my old self a little bit. There was like, oh, got a little, I'm not so sleepy or I'm not so drugged up if you want to feel that. We're not saying like Lexapro made me feel that way, but a little bit. You just clouded. A little, exactly, yeah. and I—I I was. That's why I always would want to like lower my dosage, like because it gave me more energy, a little more life. It still had, so it's trying to find that right balance because I was always wanting to get off it. Usually, and uh, always sleeping well. No major, you know, issues or anything. But uh, I mean, I, I had a mistake. I did go off my meds. I mean, that's why a lot of a lot of that was in my television show. That was back in what 2007 or eight or whatever. Yeah, was, and that was all about me kind of wanting to taper down. But when I went for that particular incident that I had was because I went to Europe, and I remember I was having some. My show was coming out. Some good things are happening. And people were saying, go take a victory lap. Celebrate. Go have fun. You're always not, you know, you're too serious. So I looked into it like, oh, maybe if you take a little less, you can drink more. So I took a little less of my Lexapro. I had a good trip in in Dublin. Drank a little bit because I want to have fun. Still took a little bit of the Lexapro. And then I flew straight from Dublin to Montreal, and I got sick. And I think that might have been withdrawals. Who knows? Like within a few days these withdrawals started kicking in. Because I felt great and then I got sick. And then I went downstairs, this is at the Montreal Comedy Festival, and the and the doctor said, You have strep throat Told me. He says, Take this Z pack. I couldn't even swallow. So like so I went from like tapering to getting sick. Didn't swallow nothing. For like a day or two yeah he give me the z-pack antibiotic He says you'll feel better i took it boom I, f- I did feel better and then my mind because i was all going off those meds i'm feeling better and then that initial being off the med of like ah i'm like free i'm clear everything's wide open so it was like that's the problem if you go off meds too soon you get hit with this everything's clear and wide open right and it's like you have a cast off so you're acting a certain way and I
1: mean, you don't even realize it's happening because you're in such a good mood yeah, you're, you're like in a good
0: mood. you're you're like riding the wave of mania so it's like yes you could be great one moment and then you're sad it's like you're crying you're laughing but for me I was actually happy because good things were happening so I was, like, in a good mood. And if I was crying, it was like tears of happiness. Like, I did it. I'm all right. This is good. But people were confused almost. It was like, Brody, you're out of character. Because I was an audience warm-up guy. You know, I was behind the scenes. Now I got a show. It's like, okay, I'm going to step up and feel good about it. And they were, like, not used to it. They wanted to almost, I mean, they were, like, surprised. So that threw people off. And by that throwing people off and me not being on the meds to kind of handle their reaction – that just kind of caused me to go even more. Like, oh, you're going to push my butt? You're, you're, you, you, I like, I pushed it because they were like pushing back and I didn't have that buffer to like say slow down. It was like, F you guys. Mm -hmm. So it was like a raw emotion. And that's why that thing's just like spiraled, spiraled out of control. Because they weren't used to it. I wasn't used to it. And then also, I was just seeing things like positive connections. I mean, that's what these pills do. They'll like play games with your brain almost. You know, that, that it's synthetically connections. This is like pot. People smoke pot and they go, it takes you to another world. <laughs> that's what these meds can do to you. A med can take you into another world and see these connections. You smoke pot, another world. Or you be off them completely. And that can take you to another world. So... That just kind of like blew up in my
1: face because I didn't, I did it on my own and I shouldn't have. You basically, you got off the meds, but you did it the wrong route because you didn't know. It wasn't an intentional thing. No, it wasn't intentional.
0: I always wanted to kind of like taper down, but but it happened.
1: You went off cold turkey, went instead of how you should have got off them, where you slowly, gradually get off.
0: But I think me getting sick in Montreal is what kind of like threw it off even more. Like then he gave me the Z Pack. Then it turned into something else, and then I'm flying back, and these guys are going, "What's wrong with you?" And I go, "I'm fine." And then I perform my shows, and I did good. I did. I hosted TMZ, and I did good, all being quote unquote off my meds. So, but I was getting combative, like with people in Starbucks. I was seen. Because I was having some success. I had The Hangover. I had, I hosted TMZ. I have this HBO thing. And I was going into like Starbucks and Studio City, and I was just picking up negative energy from like these, these screenwriters with their laptops out or these other actors hanging People out People judging. There. Yeah, I could just pick my aura, the way I was acting, the confidence I was putting out. However, non-verbally, I felt like they were picking up on that and giving me negative energy. So I was like calling them on. I go, "F you," looking at me that way. Like I was, I was like being combative, but I was, you know
1: what? I was right. I was on to something,
0: is what I was saying. And I went to the, another Starbucks, and I had
1: you're on to something, but maybe in your normal self, you would have let it go. Right. But like, instead, you were like, if you picked up on anything, instead of just being like, "Screw that guy in your head," you would say, "Hey, screw you." Correct. Because I could. Yeah, you're gonna, you're gonna be you're gonna be a jerk to me. Are you in the Hangover? Did
0: you host TM, TMZ? You're just on a laptop here in Starbucks. <laughs> why don't you show, why don't you like treat me with respect? There's oh, a
1: little no. bit of that, like because I walked in the one time, and that's funny even to me now knowing you. But if imagine seeing a guy doing that and having no idea who he was, and you you it would just look a little crazy.
0: Yeah, but it was my point was was I was just being a normal guy. This guy was being the weirdo for right. not acknowledging me for being friendly. That's that was my point. I went in there, I remember to Starbucks. And this was the night after my friends called the police on me. So the uh, there was already agitation. Right. Like, okay, you want to call the cops? I'll play that game. So I go to Starbucks over in the valley on Ventura there in Coldwater. And I'm I go in there. I mean, everything was just lining up with connections. Like these guys, these Persian kids or Armenian kids outside, they knew me from the comedy store. Hey, Brody, they knew me. I didn't know them. And I went inside. They were out on the patio. Then I went inside, and that's where I saw the guy. I was wearing a Dodger T-shirt, and he had like a Dodger hat on. And I I had green shoes, I remember, like a green Nike shoe. And he had green Nike shoes. So I ordered my coffee, and I'm waiting there by the cold bar to pick it up. And he's there on his laptop.
1: Oh, and you try to be friendly like, I try yeah. to be
0: friendly. I go, Oh, you're wearing a Dodger account. We've got a Dodger thing. That's cool. Oh, we got same shoes. He was like, Yeah, whatever. And yeah. I go, and oh. Instead of him
1: going, haha I go, Oh,
0: well, you're not you're not that's not very nice. He was like blowing me off. I go, Why is this guy being a jerk? I go, This guy's being a jerk to me. I go, I'm a good guy. He go, you're being an a I go, no wonder nobody knows who you are. Or something like that. Yeah. And then he was like then he like said something to the Barista like, This guy's harassing me. I go I forget what I said, something yeah, like that. Yeah, you but, know I didn't, like, scream and yell, but I, I did kind of. And so then I go, this guy's a jerk. I said it, like, loud. I go, no, this. see this guy? He doesn't work. He's an a-hole. I said something like that. So then I go outside, and then I go, I just caused a scene in there. And these guys were, like, laughing. I go, yeah. they're <laughs> yeah, going to call man. the cops on me. Because they already, I can tell. I just knew. Yeah. And so then, and I remember I went back in there to, like, and I I and I said like that guy's a jerk and then some other guy thought I was calling him a jerk. Oh shoot. And I go, "No, not you, him." It was just like there here's a the Just deal. a
1: little bit of a scene at yes. a public place. Yeah. Correct,
0: correct, correct. And so then I went outside and I go they're going to call the cops on me. And so I go when the when the cops call, the cops come, I go film it. That's what <laughs> I the, said. To the to the kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh the cops came, they came up to me and they uh they handcuffed me right there at the Starbucks, and that's when they started, like, I told them exactly what happened, and I told them what happened the night before with the cops coming over, and I basically said that, you know, I was just, I don't know if I, I might have said I was adjusting my meds, maybe, but they handcuffed me, and then they waited for the sergeant guy, the head guy to come over, and I told them, I said, like, what happened. And
1: I'm surprised they handcuffed you. And they let you. me there go. When there was a you know, no violence was ever, ever happened. They handcuffed you because someone called and said, hey, this guy's yelling and making a scene. Mm-hmm. You'd think, you know, there's no violence. There's no threats. You weren't, you didn't, you weren't saying I'm going to beat your ass to anyone. I may right? have said that, oh.
0: <laughs> but yeah, they handcuffed me. Yeah. And then the, the police guy came and I told him, I told him the story. I was, uh, I was honest with the two cops holding me. They're like holding my arm. I go, I go, I didn't, I go, I just made a mistake. You know, I I said I'm justing my meds. I go. I talked to this guy. He he says this. I I I said something back. I I, I forget what it was. I'm right. such in a better place right now. Yeah. So the guy, the head guy came and he talked to me. He says, promise, like to chill and no no. You know, no problems. I go. I promise. And he let me go. Yeah. He like
1: unhandcuffed me and he let me yeah. go. So yeah, you didn't commit a crime. No, I was never yeah. like. Yeah, of course they let you go. It'd be weird if they didn't let you go, honestly. But
0: but it was like I was performing.
1: The world was my stage is what it was,
0: basically. I was, like, being a little out there, but I was also being funny, but I was also, like, in control. I wasn't, like, hallucinating. I wasn't doing that. I just took these connections and these energies and, you know, highlighted them. So... But I had like an incident at 7-Eleven with a guy. I had a, I kicked a guy at the comedy store parking
1: lot. Physically kicked him? Yes.
0: Wow. Well, okay. this was like after.
1: Was he being an a-hole? A little bit, yeah. Okay, so he was being an a-hole. Yeah, it was Got the physical. night
0: I was at. People just weren't used to me being wow. on. Yeah. I'm a big guy. I had nothing holding me back, and I was seeing things for the way, the way I look at it. I saw you the way crystal they, clear, crystal clear. And to this day, I believe myself. I like I was on to something. I wasn't that,
1: there, but I believe you.
0: Yeah. That's why they put you on meds, because you start speaking the truth. So they go, uh, well, this guy better be on pills. So he goes with the flow. So when I was off them, I saw things. I saw characteristics of people that I could see that I couldn't. Other, otherwise so when I went back to the comedy store this is after Sarah Silverman's party I was back at the comedy store and I remember guys were hanging out in the parking lot and there was just like this drunk guy who was friends with Mervis the old bartender Yeah, and I didn't know this guy but I was talking to another comedian in the parking lot and he comes up I go get away from me man and I like kicked him get the fuck out of here I was like yeah that guy away, yeah and uh, just had a couple situations like that so that being said, that was me going off the meds cold turkey, mm-hmm. and
1: it led to... It led to your your friends and family saying you need to get back on the meds. Yeah, they call, I went to the hospital. Yeah. So you got back on.
0: I got back on meds, but different meds. Different like, meds. Heavy meds. These were like, the meds they put me on were like... Yeah, because everyone was stra- saying,
1: hey, this guy needs to be on meds. Right. So.
0: Mental straitjacket joke. Yeah. I mean, meds, which I didn't need. No. I mean, I was uh, sleeping 15 hours a day. Wow.
1: Uh, I mean, I felt okay, to be honest. I felt like a zombie. Now, in your head, when this was all happening, were you thinking, this is bullshit, I shouldn't be on all these meds, people are freaking out? Or were you thinking, I just want to make everyone happy and take whatever they say? What, what was th- More
0: of the first part. More yeah. like, this is BS, yeah. but I don't want any more problems. Right. You know, when even to the... I mean, I went to UCLA for 17 days. I, I felt I it's a went a long time. Yeah, I yeah. felt it was almost a misunderstanding at first. Like, why am I here? I'm not crazy. I made a mistake on the medication. And I and I I acted out based off this medication. I didn't just act out out of the blue. Yeah, it wasn't like I wasn't on meds and I acted out. I needed to be on meds, or I was on meds and I acted out. Obviously, it's just like drinking. If you, I mean, guys drink and do cocaine and get into fights, throw people through play class windows. They don't throw them in the in the hospital. They go, you're drunk and crazy, and you got into a fight. So that's kind of what I felt like I did. I went off I, by not having that that buffer in my system. It allowed me to, like, lash out, and it, and it frightened people, one, because I'm a big guy, two, um... They didn't know me like that. It was like out of character. Mm-hmm. So I get that. So I went to the hospital, and the whole thing in the hospital was like, "You want to get out of the hospital?" I, I could have just used a vacation. To be honest with you, yeah. like they could have said, "Just let's go away for a week to Hawaii." Could have done that. To be honest, I think it could have. Looking back, that's how it could have been
1: handled. Handled. Yeah, sure. But have made it like more this turn less in, of an a- attack, less of a. Hey, you're sick. You need to go here. Yeah, and yeah. I wasn't sick. Right.
0: I was. I I had. Like, I got. Yeah. I felt. Like I got
1: dosed almost.
0: So. That being said. You know, I I went to the hospital. This is
1: like what six, seven years ago, maybe.
0: And I enjoyed it. It was relaxing.
1: Yeah, it was right when I was moving here. Yeah, when all this was happening.
0: Yeah, it was. Uh, I was just like out of control, pushing it. But not really out of control. There was a method to what I was doing. Yeah. So, But when I got out, they had me on these heavy meds. I remember like uh, Seroquel, which is crazy, um, sleep pill, and uh, Depakote, which is like lithium. I was on the highest dosages. And it like messed with my body, I think. Like my hair was falling out, getting fat, um, that sort of crying, sad. And then I started like adjusting though with the with the doctor, started adjusting those heavy meds, like can you get me off these heavy meds? Slowly got off the heavy meds. But he said I didn't need LexaPro. You you're not you you're you don't have depression. You're bipolar. We need to treat bipolar, not anti, not depression. So Maybe I I I like to think everybody's bipolar. If you put somebody's back against the wall, they're going to act out a certain way. And when you're a comedian and you're doing these and I'm doing audience warm up late night spots, I'm a bachelor. There's like, this is like to pick my life apart and go, oh, you got a, you're crazy. You,
1: I'm, and I'm it's a comedian, like a guy who doesn't know you too. Yeah, you know, it's like it's so hard to diagnose someone with such a major thing after talking to them for an hour and then going. You're bipolar. It's like, well, you don't really know me.
0: You don't know, but also when you're... I'm doing comedy. You know, people say any kind of... My issues that I've run into professionally have been through audience warm-up, late-night spots. Anybody, those are are minefields for problems. I'm not having... Road rage incidents. Yeah, I don't have problems at the comedy store and the Laugh Factory and the improv. I'm not fighting with waitresses and managers. I'm not fighting with baseball guys that I hang out with. None of this was none of that. This was all based off, um, you know that. I guess that reaction to the pill. I'm losing this, I should. Be, I'm losing my train of thought. I should be on meds. So, yeah. <laughs> I always wanted to get off them. I, right. I, I just to, and to.
1: To give me, so get, get but I back think that's natural. I it, think it's natural for off, most people. But, to, but what I'm asking is, okay. um, so, so yeah, you've always wanted to get off them. We went through the history of it. Now you're off them. So what? How did did you just say to your doctor, "I want to get off them"? Slowly take me off. Did you do, do it? Did you do it yourself? Did you just slowly take yourself off? I did it myself. Okay. Part of it was my insurance was at, running out,
0: so I had to get that renewed. But I still had, I still had them. But even before that, I was kind of like tapering. Mm -hmm. It was tapering. I felt okay, and I felt more alive. And then the, the thing was, I was just hearing too many negative stories of people on medication, like Lexapro, Prozac, and, like, violent guys, like, you know, people causing problems, like oh, like a killer. They're on meds. They're on this. And then also going to the bathroom every night, feeling, feeling. Um, you know, you had to pee all the time, felt a little bloated, and sometimes chest pains. Didn't feel great physically necessarily. And I was on Lamictal which is a I mood stable, My favorite one when you mood on stable. stage, I'm on Lamictal. Lamictal, it's a mood stabilizer, yeah. anti-epilepsy, Lexapro and a little bit of clonopin if and when needed. So, I said to myself, want to get off it because of the negative connotation with the with the antidepressants. Want to get off that. And then I felt also the way my I, I just felt my body, I wanted to give my cleanse my body
1: I got off cholesterol medication. Also, I think it's great. I think more people should do what you did. And, and I know this is a controversial topic. And right. and when you bring this up to certain people, they go, "You don't get it. You're not sick. I need these meds. I need these meds to be." You. Know? I don't think that's true. I think maybe obviously there's certain people that need that need meds that are very right. sick that are very unstable. But I think it's very overdiagnosed, and I think most people would figure it out without meds. They would have to. You have to move on with your life. You have to be a functionally functioning member of society. You have to get along with people and get a job and work to live. And people fall back too easily to their addiction on pills or to not wanting to overcome these problems on their own. But I think that the average person, I don't know what percentage. I'm going to say I'm going to say half. I'm going to say half of people on pills. Could wean themselves off and do and live their life and be happy and get through it without medication?
0: Yeah. um, I mean, I'm trying. I feel like my old self. I feel like my college self. I feel like my New York self. Um, I just want to give my, I want to practice being social, practice exercising practice proper supplements,
1: and see where that goes. From my perspective, you're doing great. But do you have any any thoughts like maybe I should get back on, I miss the feeling of this, or are you, are you doing good?
0: Um, I feel flat. I mean, I feel like not – I'm not saying I don't feel alive, but I do feel even. I feel mellow. I feel – But you're saying that in a bad way. Um, it's good and bad. I'm saying in a bad way in a sense that mellow is not great for stand-up necessarily. Right. Um. Maybe lower energy. Flat, even is not great. I feel like I, before, I would take a pill. I had some, like, it gave me, like, natural energy to, like, push, 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 this, that. Now that I'm off it, I don't feel, I feel like I have to generate it. I have to generate that energy. Or... Write more jokes. You know what I'm saying? Like, get up there and...
1: I think that could be said for all of us. Write
0: the jokes. And I feel that... Definitely, like, with my stand-up, me not being on medication, the audience feels a little more connected with me. I feel like there's there, that buffer isn't there, that wall isn't there, so they seem to...
1: Like me a little more. That's great. I'm picking up on that energy, like in and I think that's that's great. And not only is that great, I mean, what's the most important thing in your life from my perspective? It's comedy. For the and most if you're part. connecting more with the audience,
0: I'm. Con- I feel yeah. It's it, helping
1: it, the most important thing.
0: Yeah, and it's it's new. I feel like I have to rewire my brain. Also,
1: do the jokes, and change is good. I mean I think the worst thing for me in comedy is when I fall into this routine of doing the same, feeling the same, doing the same, nothing's getting mixed up. Right. So I think that only make you grow as a Change
0: wor- change change works, but you look at the guys like, you know, the Joe Rogans and all those guys and Burt Kreischer and all them doing like sober October and health and training and you you see that and you go, "You know what? I'm going to try that." See 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 what that does. They're doing it. I'm going to practice all the prop like nutrition, getting steps in, just and for me um I feel different but people seem to think like they can't tell. Like on stage they can't tell like whether I'm on meds or not. Nobody can tell, but I I can tell. Mm-hmm. And it's uh instead of me like relying on connections and energy and this and that and boom, 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 boom. I'm, I need to like. It's forcing me to get back to my jokes. I got my, and they're laughing at my jokes. I'm doing well. I'm up there, and I'm saying my jokes. They're laughing. At it. I don't have that extra stuff for them to deal with that might like freak them out with. Oh, he's sweating, or he's yelling, or he's. Yeah, you're a little more yourself, a little mellower, and I'm bringing bringing people in. It's bringing them into me. So I just give them the joke, boom, they laugh. And then I'm up there and it's like, okay, I feel all right. Um, I mean, that's a big thing. If you're if, if taking a pill or not taking a pill and then it affects your comedy, which is your livelihood or who you are, you know, that's a big thing. So it's not like I need a pill so I could not get road rage or I need a pill so I can go to the mall. I need a pill so I could sleep. It's not that. I'm saying like, I needed a the 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 pill gave me that buffer to play and really, you know, do that. But here's the thing. I had that buffer and I was not underachieving underachieving, but I knew I could be doing more.
1: Yeah. I should be doing more. I feel that way and I, I'm not on any meds.
0: Yeah. I should be podcasting more. I should be doing I like I said, I feel like my old self. And my old self is you know, doing stuff, appreciating things. I almost feel like I want to go back and see movies now. I want to go, um, you know, travel. Right. I don't know, yeah. go to the beach even. Just feel I like great. I have some of that. And here's the other thing. It's not to say that I won't ever go back on medication. I may. If I go and get my cholesterol looked at and it's through the roof, okay, and I'm trying natural stuff, I might have to, right. I don't know, consider that. Or if I'm having.
1: But it's nice to know that, that you can go off and be okay.
0: Yes, I've been off it, and I think, yeah, it's like, for me, it's that energy. It's that little, uh, where's that energy? Where's that buffer coming from? I I have to kind of like, let's go, push it, because you would do, like, I would do audience warm-up for all these shows, and people must have thought, like, he must be on drugs, because I was. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, for somebody – not to be on drugs and to do 3,000 television audience warm-ups, that's... Might lose their minds a little bit. Yeah, like it allowed me to really go there. But I've also, over years, I've built up jokes. I've built up experiences. I So I'm saying to myself, you know what? Why not try that? you built up experiences. You've built up material. Why don't you try and go about it with an even even keel and let's see what happens. And so far it's been okay.
1: It's been great. Let's
0: play some calls. Okay. And and thank you for letting me speak. I know this is a brody heavy podcast and you can edit some down if you need to.
1: No worries. This is uh this is and I mean this in a positive way. This is what I expected. This is what I wanted. Okay. So you did. Everything's good. Yeah. All right. When I'm around Brody I like to listen and learn. Okay. And you're a good listener and a good learner. Thank you. Okay. So I get people calling the show and they want help too. Okay. So we're going to try and help them. Are you putting this out over Twitter? Yeah. (laughs) Who is that? I don't know. This guy's name is Todd Lean. Okay. So this tall, lean, started with a, a laugh, so maybe he's happy. I don't know. We'll so this guy's that.
0: live right now? Can he hear no, us? No, no,
1: no. This was, he left a voicemail. He left a voicemail. Okay, here we go. So he doesn't know how this podcast is – he hasn't been listening. Not to this episode. Got it. Not yet.
0: <laughs> go ahead, caller. I don't know
1: how to ask for help because it's not like anybody can really – Change what happened right now. I mean, I'm dating this guy who is HIV positive, A homosexual, okay. and he he's afraid I'm gonna leave him,
0: but he also wants me to leave him at the same time, because he thinks he's diseased,
1: yeah, and we know we can't change anything about that, so he's just always gonna be like that. <laughs> How do I be supportive
0: and help him or
1: <laughs> or protect myself? Wear a condom. Right? I think that's great advice. Wear a condom. Protect yourself, um, that's what they always say. But condoms aren't foolproof, you know? there's still that you have to do you love this man enough to know that there's a good chance you will get HIV from being with this person
0: I mean if you were you got to be smart i mean wear a condom But even if you wear
1: condoms break things happen All right well
0: these days having HIV
1: it, it, it's not that bad right you can survive If you're on medication if you have good insurance and you get good medication and you have HIV mm-hmm. you could live a long healthy life um, look at Magic it Johnson. It happens. Yeah, look at Magic Johnson from the Los Angeles Lakers. He's, I'd take his life.
0: You what? What did he do to
1: you? I'm saying I would, I would take would, his life. Oh, oh. I would trade lives with him. Gotcha. I would not murder Magic Johnson. All right. Yeah, he seems nice. There you go. So yeah. So what nice. advice? What, what's this guy asking for? Does he? I guess it's a yeah, dating what, show now. I guess it is right now. I guess he's wondering what what to do about. What that. does this have to do with Lexapro and Zach? <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. This is about. So I can't about, help him. This is about. That was about Todd lean Okay, so let's move on. To no. The next well, one. well,
0: I mean, so what well, he's got a look. You got. You have a boyfriend. That uh if you, I don't. You got to be careful. I, I think
1: it. It comes down for me on how much you care about that person. If you really love him. And want to be with him, then the HIV won't matter. There you go. Then you'll then you'll work your way around it. If you don't, if you're like it's, if you're thinking about it and questioning, is it worth it to date a guy with HIV? Then he's not worth it for other reasons.
0: Yeah, it seems complicated, but it is not. Complicated. And uh, maybe uh, he can send us an email. We could, you know, follow <laughs> up with him. Yeah, I hope he. I
1: hope he does. It's from Candace Nelson. Candace Nelson. I decided
0: to come out to my parents today.
1: What's with the gay things? (laughs) Two gays in a row. Nothing wrong with that though. Okay. My brother just came out of the closet, my younger brother. Are you serious? Yeah, eighteen year old brother came out about a month or so ago. Did you know? I didn't. You had no idea he was gay? No, I mean looking back now, there were definitely signs that I missed, I guess. But I didn't see it coming. Rainbow flag? (laughs) Like what signs? Like he never liked sports at all. Okay. He had friends that were girls, good friends that were girls. That's a and when I was that age, I was terrified of girls. Okay, And I thought maybe, oh, well, he was around my girlfriends. When I, he was growing up, maybe he was just able to handle girls better than I did. Yeah. I just didn't think about it. He loved to cook. His favorite sport was pickleball. I thought he didn't like sports. He didn't, but then he, he liked pickleball. 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 Have you heard of that? It's like mini tennis, kind of like half court tennis and they use yeah. a different ball. It's called pickleball.
0: Is that a pickle in your pocket or are you just happy to see me?
1: <laughs> yeah, so, oh well, I guess that my, my there's a big gay theme in my life right now.
0: I decided to come out to my parents today. I'm not quite sure what made me decide that I wanted to do this, but I've been having a lot of anxiety lately and I think I need to start eliminating my problems one by one and this seems like most prevalent problem in my life. I'm just not quite sure how to approach the issue and I'm hoping that you might be of help.
1: I mean it sounds like you approached the issue and and took care of the problem. There's nothing abnormal about wanting your family to know who you are. I don't even know if that's a problem. That's a good thing. Yeah, it sounds great. So I don't yeah, I don't have anything to say to her. She sounds cute. She does sound cute. She would but unfortunately not for us, right?
0: And she could change her mind.
1: Yeah, if you ever decide to come back, uh Brody at brody@stevens.com.
0: You got another one or is this yeah, let's do one,
1: one. more. Okay. Let's do one more cuz that one was kind of All right. Not a good problem, right? I should I should have pre-screened these ahead of time. I apologize. Hi. Um I oh, This is Brandon Kennedy. Okay. I've been having some really serious trust issues in my life. One of my worst fears is losing <laughs> friends. It's gotten to the point where I have to walk on eggshells around everybody in that I'm always afraid if I say the wrong thing, like I'll lose someone. Is that normal? No. What can I do about it?
0: Stop thinking that, that you're gonna yeah. lose
1: friends for I mean, what
0: I mean, you're walking on
1: eggshells? Yeah, I mean there's two it could be one of two things, right? He's either doesn't have good friends. Or he's just too neurotic. If you're walking on eggshells,
0: that probably means your friends aren't worth having. If you're walking on eggshells around your friends,
1: yeah, they're not that, friends. that's
0: they're not your friends.
1: Unless the issue is with him, unless he's just overthinking. But, but yeah, it sounds but like But who
0: says I have to walk on eggshells around this guy yeah. to protect protect my, think my right. friendship? Like I walk on eggshells. That's not your fault. Yeah, you're right. It's your fault for keeping yourself in that situation. So if your friends are going to leave
1: you because who you really are, they're not your friends. That's. I think you're absolutely right. That's if, the way I look at it. Yeah, I mean, sign up for meetup.com. Get new friends.
0: There's, there's plenty of friends. Um, I mean, look, go hang out at the comedy store on a Monday night. You can go do that. Go sign up for a workshop go. Yeah,
1: classes. There's things to do. Get a new part-time job. It doesn't. You don't need anyone. And if they don't make you feel good, and you're walking on eggshells, why put yourself through that? I'd rather be alone, personally. Is it just me? or Did that guy sound like a homosexual as well? I thought f- he, he sounded gay, but hey. Hi. Um. I that's, that's, yeah. That's, that's a g- some really serious. Tra- <laughs> What's why? Uh, why is my? Fa- Maybe they're I, all my brother's friends. There you go. I'm not sure. All right. Well, thank you for being on the podcast, boy. Did. Did you like it? Yes. Should we put this out? I think so. I won't scrap it. We're keeping it. I would
0: say the only negatives, if there were any, would, okay, maybe I talked a lot. Maybe I meandered. Maybe they got the point. And then possibly
1: I was getting hungry at the end, Low blood sugar. I'm just thinking of negatives potentially. Maybe next time I'll have uh, snacks, non-crunchy snacks. Maybe like uh, some fruits, maybe a little bowl of fruit. I mean, guests. for me
0: personally, it was good to talk about this to get it out. Just to always talk. If I'll talk about my situation because I have nothing to hide. Yeah. Regarding that stuff, and also I feel like comedically, comedy's popular. People listen to comedians. So I know that somebody's out there when they appreciate the comedy stuff we were talking about. And then with the medication stuff. Um, I'm sure
1: there's people with those issues, too. I'm sure there's it. people
0: with those issues also. So, again, my thing w- would be like m- maybe I
1: talk too much. On no, this I don't think so. That would be great. my only
0: takeaway. Like, yeah. But other than that, it was, you know,
1: thera- it it's therapeutic, therapeutic for me. I appreciate you coming over to the studio. I appreciate you being here. Thanks for coming on.
0: You got it, Ori. Have a good one. Ori
1: Manis. Follow Brody Stevens. Yes. Brody Stevens. At Brody Stevens. Everything.